have had a meeting with the local police, calling for a criminal inquiry. You know, if I locked my son in a room and I threw him into a car park and I did all the things that they've done to my son, I'm pretty sure social services would be looking into it. And, you know, with the Winterbourne View scandal, it took one whistleblower before lots of others came forward. And the things that happened in that care home happen in schools. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, it's all about special education. We talk to Carrie Bells, a newly appointed Labour councillor for Hartcliffe. She's a single parent with a child with autism. And with Bristol's continued failure with their SEND targets, offering provision to young people with learning difficulties and special education needs in the city, she's been outspoken in the chamber and talks to us about life as a parent and what she would like to see for us to overcome what is being called a SEND crisis. I want to talk to you a bit about your obviously newly elected councillor. How long in the post? Yes, it's about three months now. You're a councillor for Hartcliffe. You're Hartcliffe born and bred. Is that quite rare these days, living and being from the area which people stand for? It seems becoming more common that people don't. Well, I can only comment on Bristol, really. Um, It used to happen quite a lot, but I think lots of people have left political parties for whatever reason. So, um. Previously, there might not have been someone in a particular ward to run. So I think with an influx of membership we had in recent years, I think that's helped. And I think it really does matter that you know the area you're representing. Have you lived outside Hartcliffe? Have you always lived there? Witherwood and Hartcliffe, I've no, never lived anywhere else. I've moved around the BS13 area quite a bit, but yeah, always stayed here. I, I don't think I could move anywhere else. Why not? Well, you know, moving around quite a bit meant I've moved into properties and had like literally nothing, no furniture, clothes off my back. And mm-hmm. where else could you find furniture? You know, someone's always got someone to give you air, someone to talk to, people are friendly, there's always a shoulder to cry on. Where Hartcliffe might be slightly different is that obviously it's predominantly a council estate, therefore people tend to sort of hang around and stay for longer. Council tenancies, you know, they're they're unlikely to take your tenancy away, you're unlikely to be evicted, even if you fall on hard times, you know, they're much more likely to want to keep you in your property. With a private landlord, if you get into rent arrears or you get into trouble, you know, we're stopping people. Yeah, exactly, and that's why people come and go, and I think that that's kind of destroyed that sense of community, I think, in yeah. a lot of places in Bristol. For sure. Because you do use a hashtag, Hartcliffe Matters, and I wasn't really familiar with this whole normal for Hartcliffe thing that um, oh, social God, yeah. services and GPs used to write in the 80s and early 90s. Oh, that, that term really annoys me. So, it's you know, if, if your kids aren't doing well at school, well, that's normal for Hartcliffe. If you're... Yeah. If you're in financial difficulties, if you're on benefits, that's normal for Hartcliffe. You know, if you, you've you got like some substance misuse and, you know, you're getting into trouble that way or, you know. And this getting, was literally written yeah. down wasn't it, by, by um, social services, by GPs and doctors. And it was this big sort of, uh, I don't know, expose or document managed to come out that, that, that I guess the assumption being is 
oh, don't worry about that. That's just normal yeah. for Hartcliffe. That's pretty bad, isn't it? It's a bit like saying, well, you're from Hartcliffe, so you don't deserve what everyone yeah. else has got. It's like, it's basically people saying, know your place. Yeah. And you were quite involved in the campaign against uh, Radio Bristol presenter that did this kind of yes. mocking song called Hartcliffe Lass, which was basically a kind of trope around promiscuity of women in Hartcliffe and uh, incest and married to your sister. And you made a big complaint about that. Yeah. And well, I encouraged other people to make complaints. You know, I can't take credit for all of it. There was um, a few others involved and I'm really thankful yeah. for them. But it's, you know, what gives you the right to judge us? You know, yeah. like, how dare you? We're, we're human beings. You know, those that's somebody's yeah. sister, that's someone's mother, their niece, their daughter. No, it's a bit like, you know, oh, Jeremy Kyle reject or, you know, not not everyone's like that. Don't get me yeah. wrong, there there probably is, but there there is in every community, you know, yeah. and you, you've got no right. So they kind of did a, a half-hearted apology. The song was taken down. The bigwigs at the main BBC office kind of said, well, it was a fictional place. Well, no, Hartcliffe's a real place. <laughs> okay. Okay, so like, yeah. you obviously haven't looked into it very well, but they, they said it shouldn't have been aired at lunchtime, so they weren't apologising for the content. So they didn't concede any ground on it being kind of classist or misogynistic? <laughs> exactly, or that exactly. Kind of stuff. And the reason I, I, I'm saying this is because it, it's kind of symptomatic to a, an attitude that people from the city can have to Hartcliffe, but also an attitude that people from Hartcliffe are acutely aware of. You know, and I've done a, quite a bit of work talking to people there, and there is, does seem this sense of a kind of siege mentality. Well, other parts of Bristol, you know, there's there's a bit of history, and, you know, that might have been like a more affluent area previously, whereas Hartcliffe, from the day it was built, it was always has been, and I, oh, I, I mm. don't want to say this, but probably always will be a deprived area, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it was a slum clearance area, wasn't it? Built on the on the edge of the city. You see, a fascinating place, and and the population. If you combine Hartcliffe and Withywood, it's like practically the size of Truro. Yeah. You know, and and yet there's like one pub left or something. Yeah, that, that's, I think. that's a whole lot of working class people in yeah. in an area with well, yeah. most of the pubs have gone there and had, had housing built on it. And don't get me wrong, we need housing, but yeah. you know, is it is it really affordable housing? Is it really? But you're in a position now of influence. You've gone from being an activist yeah. to a politician, and you're kind of known for speaking your views. Um, <laughs> do, you, you know, do you feel you might have to be a bit, bit more diplomatic now, or, or, or do you intend on just sort of carrying on in the same vein? Well, I am what I am at the end of the day. If something needs saying, then I'm going to say it. You know, maybe that's why people elected me mm. because I do stick up for them. I do stick up for the council tenants. I do stick up for the homeless people and. The, the people that are just like me, you know, I've got nothing to gain from doing that. It's because I care. Is that not an argument that you could levy at some of the inner circle around the mayor that were all, you know, relatively working class activists in their own particular communities? And then some people would argue now they've come into a position of the power and influence. They have done that bit. They've had to temper who they are and, and temper some of that fire. I guess my question to you is, do you fear that could happen to you? Um, well, there's always that fear, you know, I always get a bit of backlash and I always feel like I'm being told to sit down and shut up or, you know, the eye rolls and the tuts when I speak and I think, you know, that, is that really democracy? You know, if something's got to be said, 
you know, I was elected by people in my ward to speak on their behalf within the council. And that's what I intend to do. And obviously being in the Labour Party, the Labour Party um, have been in the seat of Hartcliffe, you know, for a long, long time. Have the Labour Party done a good job in Hartcliffe for you? Well, that's a difficult question to answer because, um, well, what can I say? I When I joined the Labour Party, I thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'm joining something amazing, I'm like, a, like a union of people that are just like me. I can go to meetings, I can make a difference. And actually, when I started going to the meetings, there was pretty much no one from my community there. What have we done to recruit new members from our community? We want them to vote for us. Of course we do. Of course we want their votes. But the membership of the area is so low, you know, maybe they do feel let down, you know, and that's, it's a similar picture across the country. It is, yeah. I mean, and and you kind of coming in in a weird kind of way is almost against the tide a bit. Yeah. Because people are talking about, Labour leaving working class communities behind and obviously the Tories are making real headway in other parts of the country that would be traditional Labour areas. It, there is that whole thing around how do you keep that authenticity? You know, there are politicians, MPs that, that do, but an awful lot don't, do they? So it's kind of like... I see a lot of politicians and, you know, high profile people saying yeah. that they're working class, but for the majority of their life, they haven't you know, they haven't had a working class income. You obviously still live in Hartcliffe. You're, yep, still you, live in my council house. You're a council tenant yourself. Yeah. Yep. You, you know, you're a single parent yep. and you're totally connected to the community in which you're serving. So you do have a son called Cody who has autism. Yep. And you've been involved in this whole situation to do with SEND, which is special education for young people with special needs and disabilities in the city. But explain to people that don't know, what's it like on a day to day basis? Um, it it can be exhausting. Routine is very important to my son. So if that routine isn't there, you know, the first week of the school holidays, he's had no no tutoring sessions. So like he knows that his tutor starts at 11 or past 11. So he knows he's got to be dressed by that time. So yeah. when he hasn't got that there, he he can't work out when he's meant to get dressed by. So, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm saying to him, well, you need to get dressed. So it's routine is important. Yeah, and picking your battles, you know, most of us get up in the morning and brush your teeth. Well, for my son, it's not going to happen in the morning. So instead of nagging him to do it in the morning, as long as he brushes his teeth sometime during the day, he's won his battle, I've won mine. Yeah, and, and I think people's understanding and experience of autism is probably quite limited. Oh, God, People yeah. have watched Rain Man yeah. or things like that. And there's a sort of generalisation that everyone's a mathematical yeah. genius and that kind of stuff. But it's far more complex than that. Definitely. Like his special interest at the moment is coins and the monarchy. And that okay. it's, it's just like all he thinks about yeah. all day, every day. And he has to tell really? you his interesting facts. We took him to the Royal Mint Factory in Wales. Yeah. They were very kind and they gave us a little private tour. Mm. The lady, she was absolutely lovely. My son had his horrible histories monarchy book. To him, that's like his Bible. So every time she told him an interesting fact, he would say, hang on, wait a minute, let me check. And he would look up in his book. You know, and if if she was a year out, he'd be like, oh, no, that's wrong. You know, (laughs) yeah. 
So that's the exhausting part of the it. The exhausting because... thing. So it's kind of like fixation on detail, certain activities, objects, yeah. repetitive behaviours. Yeah. What about sort of sensitivity? Because I think it's essentially overstimulation, isn't it, in your brain? Oh, a sensitivity God, yeah. to touch and sound and light. Is that something that... He's very sensitive to noise. Like children's parties, it's the unpredictability of them that, that he finds difficult. So you have to be quite careful and, and sort of manage where you go and the situations that you're into. Yeah, like even with his own birthday, he gets really anxious about having his birthday because to him, birthdays are about loud noises, popping balloons. He's not, not really ever had his own birthday party because he gets so anxious about it. But you can't have yeah. a day trip on his birthday because he gets overwhelmed and he might, you know, he might have a meltdown. I remember taking him to a pub before a meeting at City Hall once and the, the pub was really dark, took him to City Hall, which is very light and bright, and he screamed the place down because, you know, that, that sudden change. There's a bit of a learning curve. So sometimes you just need to say to him, you know, it's going to be a bit brighter in here and you, you have to talk him yeah. through it and he can manage it. And that's quite challenging anyway, obviously as a single parent yeah. and somebody who now is a counsellor. How, how do you balance your work and life with looking after your son I've got a really supportive family so without them you know I would I wouldn't be able to work and go off and do all these these things that I do so yeah they have been an absolute godsend so a big talking point in the press and one of the main reasons for talking to you is the big story which was led by Amanda Cameron who is a yep. local democracy reporter which is funded by the BBC and they work in the Bristol Live offices you were basically were describing your son's experience and you accused in mainstream schools of effectively child abuse pretty strong stuff Kerry it is and when my son was first identified with having send um, four or five years ago you know the story that I'm telling now I was hearing other parents saying, and I'm thinking, surely things can't be that bad. And then the more you get into it and you think, this is happening to my son, that's happening to my son. And, you know, even today on Twitter, I was tagged in a post, an autistic child up north locked in a basement. Right. So, you know, it is happening up and down the country and it is absolutely appalling. You know, they're, they're children, they're human beings, they've got rights. And let's set some context for this. Yes, it is something that nationally is an issue, but it also is particularly an issue in Bristol. So in 2019, there was an Ofsted and Care Quality Commission report which described Bristol's SEND provision as, I quote, disturbingly poor. And parents have been forced to campaign to get heard. And Bristol City Council have been pushed into what they call a statement of action. There's been an apology from the Executive Director for Adults, Children and Education Jackie Jensen, but parents are still campaigning against it because I think there's something like 190 children with special needs that haven't got a mainstream school or a special education school rather to go to. Yeah, it's sad. Despite all these kind of promises, nothing, nothing concrete has really happened since. Yeah, yep. and it, some of the campaigners have said, you know, if if this wasn't children would send, if this was just you know 190 children without SEND, that didn't have a school place, there would be absolute uproar. So just explain how it works. Some people listening may not understand this. Well, it should be relatively easy um, to, you know, either you, yourself, your family members or the school can apply for an EHCP, Educational Health and Care Plan, 
which sets out what kind of help they need, either in mainstream or a specialist school. And assessments are done. It's meant to happen within 20 weeks. But quite often, you know, mine took 15 months to finish. Two years later, still not been implemented. Yeah. So, you know, our children are being failed dramatically. And this is a legally binding thing for Bristol City Council, isn't there? So there's 3,150 EHCPS, which stands for what again? Educational Health and Care Plan. Out of 61,000 children at school in Bristol. This is a legal document, often ordered by a judge. So Bristol City Council have a legal duty to abide by it, and they consistently failed in their targets year on year. Yep, yep. It, it is just, it's mind-boggling. You know, you've got all these well-paid officers, you know, council workers and whatever you want to call them, educational psychologists. You know, these are professional people. You know, they're well-educated people, well-paid people, and they still can't get it right. So basically there are, in the city... 190 young people with fairly severe learning, needing needing specific kind of support uh, that have not got any education provision at all or, or just not in the special school? So if if the council deems that your child needs to go to a special school, they write it onto your EHCP, but you can appeal that. Yeah. So with my son, originally his current school was named on his EHCP and now they're trying to, well, basically bully us into going to a special school oh so you would rather cody was in a mainstream school i'd really like him to stay there yeah but obviously yeah. it's a bit of a tentative situation um yeah because some parents would be the other way around then because some parents are campaigning saying i want yeah. my child to yeah. go into a special school so so it's very much up to the parent to decide um yeah they have to take into consideration the family viewpoint and the child's you know, sure. quite often they, they don't. It, as I said in people's scrutiny meeting, it's a very much a you'll do as you're told or else kind of system. You know, intimidation and bullying and it's absolutely awful. Bullying, bullying from who, Kerry? Um, I don't want to go into too much detail because obviously I've asked the, yeah. the police crime commissioner to look into it. So yeah, so you have contact to the police about yeah. this. Yeah, but maybe do it, do it in code. Um. um so school staff um governors council staff um politicians okay like you know i record absolutely everything i'm a prolific email writer i record meetings audibly you know so there there's enough evidence to make something happen well at least i hope there is you know even when you complain to ofsted they contacted the person, persons involved, and they said, well, we don't recollect that. Well, I, I can't remember. And then that was the end of it. Just jump in for the bit when I talk about Bristol Cable and its membership. Do you want to get involved in shaping journalism and media in your city? Then do become a member. Go along to the Bristol Cable website and you can put some money in each month. And you can support what we do, which will fund groundbreaking documentaries, this podcast and the monthly paper and lots of articles online and much more. So you felt that and this is, I think, has been the experience of a lot of parents. So there is this group called the Bristol Send Alliance, isn't it? Which is yep. a, a coming together of a couple of parent organisations and individual parents. The, the, the general feeling is that you've had to push and push and lobby and lobby to get answers 
on a, on a yeah. constant kind of basis. Yeah, it's sad that it's had to come to this, you know, but if it wasn't for us pushing and pushing and pushing and making those complaints, you know, this yeah. statement of action wouldn't have been happening and things would carry on. So It would have just been ignored, yeah. I mean, yeah, the interesting so... thing is, in terms of the statistics, so you said around in 20 weeks, which is the target for somebody with special education needs to be given education provision, the yeah. national average is 65%. Bristol's up until relatively recently in the last 18 months was 0.7 percent yeah it's appalling i mean that is pretty that is a bit that is that's not great is it no exactly and it's just like you know these these are children you know Mm. we want them to thrive of course we do we're their parents you know we want them to have their same educational opportunities as everybody else we'd love to see them go to college and university and their disability and their learning difficulties, you know, that shouldn't be a barrier. If they need help, they need help, you know. So what's the problem then? There just isn't enough. We don't have enough places in schools in Bristol. Well, apparently so. But apparently they're going to create another 450, you know. Uh, and this is what we can't fathom out. Bristol, you know, roughly how many children are born every yeah. year. So, you know, they've had several years to plan for this. It's around 250 new applicants per academic year. Yeah. Um, so we'd so say you've got that 190 without a place, but there's always an extra 250 every year. Yeah. If you can't fill 190, then you've got more coming. The whole thing's a mess, really. And Who's you know, to blame but, for this? Um, for you? The council and the schools and, you know, the government. We all know that the government don't want to fund this. That's where the majority of the money comes from, you know. Of course, you've got academies that are sponsored the government's got to take some kind of responsibility for this as well. They're not funding. That was going to be my kind of pushback to you, was that is it just the council to blame for this? Because obviously the council have been, you know, had, you know, imposed unprecedented austerity measures in the last yeah. 10 to 15 years. Are the council doing the best they can with limited resources? Um, I don't think they are, to be honest. There's a massive culture crisis as well. We keep saying this, you know, even if it was fully funded, if you've got people that aren't willing to implement the law, you know, money isn't going to fix everything. You know, if if you've got school staff, governors that are just resisting the change and, you know, the council officers are, they're the council, they're the local authority. And if they're not being the authority and saying, you know, this is the law, you need to implement it, you know, then it's like a vicious cycle. It's just going to keep going on and on and on. And and we're always blamed as parents. You know, the, the things they say about us, you know, it's our parenting skills. What, your parenting skills as in you're not capable of yeah, not the, nurturing your child enough, yeah? Oh, God, yeah. We've You know, you ask any send parent and the, the horrible things that, you know, the, we get... You get blamed for everything you know your your child's been naughty at school well no they're not being naughty they're behaving the way their diagnosis might suggest they might behave so is there a lack of expertise and understanding of, of issues of like autism then in, in some staff yeah and a lot of ignorance quite a lot of ignorance you know if if a child with autism is having a meltdown at school you know they automatically blame parents when actually that EHCP is there. It's got guidance in there to yeah. tell you what to do to avoid that meltdown. So, you know, if you're not putting that in place, of course they're going to have a meltdown. Of course things are going to go wrong. So, you know, you have to take responsibility that you did something wrong. 
you know, or you, you know, you didn't, you didn't do what was in the plan or maybe the plan needs changing, you know, and it's, it always feels like they're, they're blaming us or can you get your child? They've been naughty. And, and, and you as a parent then, I, and in the position that you're in, how does that make you feel? Um, quite a lot. Well, when my son first got his diagnosis, I thought, my God, I must have absolutely failed as a parent. I thought, wouldn't really? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure other other parents felt like that because it is such an exhausted experience. Um, you know, they check up on absolutely everything, and sometimes you think, you know, it's it's none of your business. They question you and question you, and there's you know meetings that are three hours long, and you're treated. Well, I don't want to say it, but you, sometimes oh. it feels like you're treated like a terrorist. Okay. You know, you're yeah. the interrogation and just. Could that also be a little bit, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, the, the whole Hartcliff stuff a little bit as well, that that almost adds into that, that they're kind of looking for an issue? Um, I think so. But, you know, I've heard this from parents across Bristol. and across you know, the city, yeah. yeah. I don't know if it could be a class thing as well, or it may perhaps, no? Um, I think that possibly, maybe. Twitter for Send is amazing. There yeah. are some really great support groups on Facebook, that lived experience you know that's where you get your support it's not from the council staff or the educational psychologist they're not patting you on the back and holding your hand but I guess the point is you shouldn't have all these sort of parents leading the charge together shouldn't kind of have to be doing that exactly you're supposed to go to the council and say I need help with this and in an ideal world they give you that help but quite often they don't and in fairness, to, to sort of push back a little bit, since a lot of the lobbying has happened and the reports come out, there has been some changes. Would you accept and concede that at all? Um, well, we keep being told that there are changes, but from my perspective, you don't it. and yeah. you know, Send Alliance, you know, we're all parents with children with Send. We haven't really seen that change yet. I mean, there is some data to this. So that 0.7% is now at 20 percent yeah, so that's a significant there, it? increase it's not 65 percent no like the national average, even 65 percent that's, that's just over half you know that is yeah. that acceptable was that really not? maybe if it was in the 80s and 90s then you know the national average you know that might be oh. so you would say the national average is too low anyway but i guess but i guess it's still significant improvement from where it was they have also recruited 24 new staff to work on the backlog and they are investing an extra 28 million pound in their own words to tackle the send crisis and they're also looking to extend elements of elmfield and claremont Mm. school to accommodate more people with special needs so that they are acting it's not as if no action has been taking place and obviously these things take time they are starting to listen yeah yeah and i do accept that Uh, as send alliance we have had a couple of meetings now with marvin to discuss it and you know things are moving along but I've said this before it just feels like they're saying well we've got it wrong in the past let's forget about that we'll get it right for the next cohort and the one after and the one after but you know that's that's no consolation to our children you know their rights have been abused they're probably going to be mentally scarred you know is it going to take 30 years, you know, in 30 years time when they're adults and able to make decisions for themselves? Are they going to make a claim and say, I was abused at school. They took away my rights. You know, I had no life because of this. Are we going to see justice in 30 years time? Why can't, why can't that happen now? We need more than an apology. You have had a meeting with the local police. 
calling for a criminal inquiry. Just explain why that is. You know, if I locked my son in a room and I threw him into a car park and I did all the things that they've done to my son, I'm pretty sure social services would be looking into it. And, you know, with the Winterbourne View scandal, it took one whistleblower before lots of others came forward. And the things that happened in that care home happen in schools. You know, I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, parents talk about it in groups and stuff. And it happens in schools. These are children that can't defend themselves. Can I read out your quote in the paper? So you've said an inquiry was desperately needed. Mm-hmm. Teachers just think they're untouchable and school leaders. The law changed a long time ago. They've had plenty of time to get to know that law and implement it, and they haven't. The Ofsted report was very clear that they were failing at every level, and they just seem to shrug it off. So it's effectively, it's the teachers themselves that you're calling out, and it's saying that this is happening in our schools under our noses. When are our children going to get justice? Yep. Yep. It's pretty strong stuff. It, it is. And, you know, I as I said, it's, it, this happened to my son and it's it's happening all the time. And presumably you know lots of other parents this is happening with, with their children as well as part of yep. the same alliance. And, you know, I speak to lots of people all the time and I spoke to a member of campaign group. It's to do with children's rights. School staff themselves have complained about this kind of abuse. What, by other teachers, Yeah. Um, yeah, they've spoken to me about it, you know, and yeah. if they blow the whistle, how protected are they? Yeah. You know, what, what's going to happen to them? In your opinion, then, this is something that's quite big and has the, the potential to blow, blow up, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this is in mainstream schools or in special schools or a combination of both? Um, as far as I can tell, mainstream schools. A lot of schools don't like the term reasonable adjustments. But it's set in law. You have to make reasonable adjustments to accommodate to, uh, well, people with disabilities. And, you know, you say, well, this, this would help. And sometimes they might say, oh, well, we'll put that in place. But then when things improve, oh, we'll take that reasonable adjustment away. You think, well, that you know. Was what was keeping, that was what was keeping everything yeah, together. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. Uh, I guess, uh, and to, just to play devil's advocate slightly, is this also arguably the teacher is being failed by the system as well. If you're like a young, inexperienced teacher in that particular area and suddenly you're dealing with young people with multiple needs that you aren't equipped to deal with, they're being put in a difficult situation by the system and the school itself. Yeah, I accept that. You know, a lot of teachers, they don't have that experience. But um, a lot of it, it is ignorance, you know, and their educational standards, you know, they want their school to be the best. And they want them to have the best statistics and sometimes send kids affect those statistics. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit deliberate as well. Okay, so it's the sort of target stuff. It's an interesting thing because obviously schools now are a lot more kind of competitive in terms of league yeah. tables. And yeah. league tables equate to, to funding, particularly if you're an academy, public, private school, yeah. culture of of trying to push these things under the carpet for the sort of yeah. the brand and the success of the school. Is that what you're kind of hinting at? Yeah, well, if you look at the alternative provision statistics, it's massively overused. It costs an absolute fortune. So it's kind of like legally off-rolling them. You yeah. know, we, we don't want you here, but we want the funding, but we're going to send you somewhere else or force you to be homeschooled, but keep you on the roll. 
because you're affecting our statistics. You know, foaling was made illegal for a reason. You know, South Bristol kids are being failed more than kids in the rest of the city. You know, look at the statistics. On the on the sort of council thing, then obviously you're in a position where, in a way, you can take things now to the mayor's office, or you can take things to the city hall, you can take things into the chamber, you can gather all these different kind of the Bristol Centre Alliance and mm. other voices. Um, are people listening to you a bit more now with the position you're in? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's hard to say, really. I'd like to okay. think they were. You know, I made my statement at People's Scrutiny on the Monday and I spoke to Alison Hurley on the Wednesday. So, you know, mm. I like to think that what I said had a bit of an impact. Um, but, yeah. it, you know, what? where do we go from here, you know? <laughs> That's kind of my question, really, is, is what kind of comes next. Yeah. We had Helen Godwin a couple of series before because my understanding is the lead between young people and education is split between her and Anna Keane. No, Anna Keane didn't stand for election, so right, it's okay. just, just Helen Godwin. It's just Helen. And she she did seem quite visibly upset, and I, I prodded her a little bit on this, and she yeah. did say that she accepted that it was the biggest failure of the Labour administration. Yep, that it was really good to hear. But, you know, they, they've had five years to sort this out. Okay. And I hope it doesn't take another five years. So say you had that job, or say you had the, the ear, which I presume you have a bit more now, and you're in the same political party, you're now a councillor. What would you do to solve this? What what has been described as, as and is a send crisis in Bristol? Oh, God, that's a really difficult question. Um, I I honestly don't know, to be honest, because what's what's happening now just it isn't happening quick enough. So, yeah. And make sure those children and the, the families are listened to and they feel listened to. You know, and if you make complaints and they just disappear. You ask questions and you don't get answers. So they need better people in those positions or the system needs to be better or a combination of both? Well, everything, it, you know, the, the blame culture, you know, got to get rid of that. You know, you can't just, things go wrong, let's blame the parents. You know, that's not okay. It's really not okay. What I think is quite interesting is a lot of people talk about lived experience. The mayor talks Mm. about lived experience a lot and people sort of honour someone's lived experience. Would it help if people that were making decisions had lived experience of having a SEND child? Um, I think it would would help, yeah, but, you know... Are there any, do you know? I I don't know, to be honest. I really don't know. Because presumably, I mean, I don't know either, but presumably... If you have navigated the system yourself, well, A, you know, you know about the challenges that come and B, you've navigated the system and the frustrations of that. So you're going to have a natural A understanding. I don't know why I'm saying A, B and C in alphabets all the time, but uh, you're going to have a natural understanding and a bit more empathy. So could could there be more people involved in the system that have that? Could could we get some of these Bristol Send Alliance parents to... I don't know, to, to start offering their consultancy advice. We've got a lot of consultants get, get paid a lot in Bristol, don't yeah, we, for other yeah. things? Yeah, well, we, we've, we've been pushing for the Bristol Parent Carer Forum, which is supposed to be our voice, but it hasn't been previously. It hasn't been run particularly well. You know, I, I've i never been involved with them. You know, and I've been in the system four years now. I think that could change massively, you know, an advisory board 
you know, direct advisory. You know, we've had, I think it's three meetings now we've had with Helen and Marvin, but they're only yeah. half an hour long. Yeah. You know, so and, and although we appreciate them, you know, that needs to yeah. keep keep you want, going. You want more. Yeah. yeah we want to be consulted on stuff you know one of our requests in the manifesto is about lobbying government you know if you're writing to the government on our behalf about our children then we want to know what you're saying we want to be involved in that does it feel like people are speaking on your behalf then well kind of but you know we don't know what they're saying we we honestly don't know you know are they being advised by political advisors that don't know anything about the send system could we not start to or have a conversation around pushing through some more parents to, to actually be involved directly in the process? I think that would help. I really do. If you were offered a role overseeing, I don't know, SEND, or I know there's a young people's position, which, which Helen Godwin has, if there was a kind of offshoot to that. Like a, like a kind of deputy kind of thing. Would you accept that? Possibly. I know they, they trialled it last year before the election, but obviously we were in a lockdown, so I'm not yeah. not sure how well that worked. But I think it could be looked at again. I, I'd do anything to help these kids out. You know, I just, I don't want to see these kids grow up without an education. I don't want to see them shut away. In terms of your meetings that you're having at the moment with the mayor and others about this, are you hopeful? Are you confident that things can start to move in the right direction? Um, I'm still a little bit cynical. You know, I'm still in the back of my head. I, I'm, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But yeah, I am hopeful that things will change. I really, really hope they do. You know, this has gone on long enough now. And you're going to pursue your case. Obviously, I mean, there's a quote here from the new police and crime commissioner who we were having on the show when I'm back from holiday, Mark Shelford, mm. said that he's received a contact in the matter concerned. So it's a case of watch this space then, yeah? Well, that's that's if he agrees to investigate it. Yeah. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't agreed to anything yet, so he could turn around and say, nope, it's not my problem, you know, this isn't a police matter. I hope he does look into it. Well, good luck. Lovely stuff. Thank you, Kerry. Brilliant. Cheers, Kerry. Cheers. So that's it from Bristol Unpacked. Many thanks to Kerry Bells. And sadly, this is the last in the current series. I'm off on holiday. We'll be back in September. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs. And a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.